Church family, I invite you to open up in God's Word to Genesis chapter 40. It's our text of Scripture for today, Genesis chapter 40, verses 1 through 23. Genesis chapter 40. The title of our message is, When God Seems Absent. When God Seems Absent. Genesis chapter 40. I'll give you just a moment to find that. I want to enjoy the reading of God's word. You follow along in your copy as I read. This is the word of God. Sometime after this, the cupbearer of the king of Egypt and his baker committed an offense against their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was angry with his two officers, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker. And he put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the prison where Joseph was confined. The captain of the guard appointed Joseph to be with them and he attended them. They continued for some time in custody. And one night they both dreamed, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were confined in the prison. Each his own dream and each dream with its own interpretation. When Joseph came to them in the morning, he saw that they were troubled. So he asked Pharaoh's officers who were with him in custody in his master's house, why are your faces downcast today? They said to him, we have had dreams and there is no one to interpret them. And Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Please tell them to me. So the chief cupbearer told his dream to Joseph and said to him, in my dream, there was a vine before me and on the vine, there were three branches. As soon as it budded, its blossoms shot forth and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup and placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. Then Joseph said to him, this is its interpretation. The three branches are three days. In three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your office, and you shall place Pharaoh's cup in his hand as formerly when you were his cupbearer. Only remember me when it is well with you, and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh, and so get me out of this house. For I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also I have done nothing that they should put me into the pit." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was favorable, he said to Joseph, I also had a dream. There were three cake baskets on my head and in the uppermost basket, there were all sorts of baked food for Pharaoh. But the birds were eating it out of the basket on my head. And Joseph answered and said, this is its interpretation. The three baskets are three days in three days. Pharaoh will lift up your head from you and hang you on a tree. And the birds will eat the flesh from you. And on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, he made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph, but forgot him. This is the word of the Lord for his church today. Heavenly Father, would you open up our hearts and minds to receive with humility the truth of your word. Give us the grace to understand it. Give us the grace to put it into practice in our lives. Father, we love you. Thank you for your word. Speak to us in Jesus name we pray. Amen. It could be a moment of loss in your life. Maybe the loss of a family member, the loss of a friend. Maybe the loss of your health or the loss of a job. 
It could be a moment of injustice in your life, a false accusation, a punishment that didn't fit the crime, a hurtful word that you didn't deserve. It could be a moment of loneliness, maybe when no one seems to care how you feel, or maybe when no one seems to understand how you feel, or maybe a moment when everyone who does care and may even seem to understand seems to have moved on and you still are there in that loneliness. It could be a moment of confusion where you're asking, did that really just happen? Or maybe, how could this happen? Or what in the world did I do to deserve this happening? It could be any number of situations in life that might set the stage for us to ask this question. Oh God, where are you? Oh God, where are you? There will be times in life, and many of you have walked through these seasons of life, maybe more than one time. Where it seems like God is absent, where it may seem like God has forgotten you, where it may seem like you have been abandoned by God. As children of God, how then do we fight against this temptation to accuse God of abandoning us? What steps can we take to keep trusting in God's presence and his compassionate involvement in our lives when it feels like he has abandoned us? Brothers and sisters, in all of life, we must, this is true not just for kind of this passage of scripture and kind of theme for today that we see in this passage, but in every area of our life, we must constantly filter our feelings through the truth of who God actually is and how he actually works in our lives. Our feelings may be saying God is doing this, but we have to filter those feelings through the truth of what God's word says about who he is and how he is at work in our world and in our lives. And one of the truths we learn about God as we study the pages of scripture that will help us stay on track in these moments where we may feel like God has abandoned us is the simple but profound truth that God's ways are higher than our ways. God's ways are higher than our ways. Church, I believe that Genesis chapter 40 teaches us this, that when feelings of abandonment creep in, God's higher ways must ground our faith. When feelings of abandonment creep into our lives, sometimes they come out of nowhere. Sometimes we may kind of see them coming. But either way, when they begin to creep in, What do we do? Well, God's higher ways must ground our faith. Let's remember where we are at in this storyline of Genesis. God's good creation was corrupted by sin, but God promised a deliverer to destroy the enemy serpent. And later God made clear that this promised deliverer is going to come through the line of Abraham. Abraham had a son, Isaac. That promise was passed to him. Then it got passed to the next son, who was, uh, who was Jacob, and his name is changed to Israel. And this Jacob or Israel um, has 12 sons, and so this promise is continuing. One of his sons, Joseph, we've seen him get sold into slavery by his brothers who didn't like him. And then if you were to remember back to chapter 39, we learned that Joseph was a slave in Potiphar's house in Egypt. And um, and he was Potiphar was captain of Pharaoh's guard. And uh, God caused everything that Joseph did to succeed. So he got promoted and in that slave role in Potiphar's house. But then out of nowhere comes this temptation and it's, it's, uh, it's Potiphar's wife. And, and long story short. She falsely accuses Joseph of sexual misconduct with her. Potiphar knows about it, hears about it, and Joseph uh, wrongly gets thrown into prison. 
We left off last week. We were seeing that Joseph was succeeding in all that he did again now that he's in prison. And he's kind of rising up in the ranks, being promoted there in the prison. We are told four times in chapter 39, and we don't want to forget this as we move to chapter 40, that the Lord was with Joseph. Through all of the ups and downs, God's presence was constant. God's presence was constant in his life. And, and yet, even though Joseph, at the end of chapter 39, seems to be kind of moving up through the ranks there in the prison, he's still a prisoner. And when we get to the end of chapter 40, if you just kind of go to the very end of chapter 40, what we find is that Joseph is still sitting in prison and now he's been forgotten. We don't know all that Joseph may have been feeling, but it does appear that Joseph's faith in God remained despite all of these ups and downs. And even despite finally being forgotten by the one person with the knowledge and the position to help him get out of prison. And yet God was there. Even when it didn't look like he was there. We can see some evidence in this passage. And then we know even from looking ahead in the story that God was doing something incredible through what seemed to be a moment of abandonment in Joseph's life. Why? Because God's ways are higher than Joseph's ways in this passage. In church, God's ways are higher than our ways today. And so how do we hold tight to this truth and stay grounded in our faith when our feelings sometimes seem to be screaming out, I have been forgotten. God, where are you? I'm all alone. I want to share with you, church, four actions based on four truths about God, four actions for us to put into practice when God seems absent that I believe will help our faith to remain grounded as we believe and continue to believe, even in those moments where we feel like God is not there, that his ways are higher than our ways. Action number one is this. Remember that God's work is not always visible to us. Remember that God's work is not always visible to us. Now, you, you may even say, well, that doesn't even seem like an action. Well, I, I believe that the act of remembering is one of the most important actions that we can take as Christians as we seek to walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Over and over in God's word, he calls his people to remember. And anytime we see God's people straying off course throughout the pages of Scripture, it's often because they failed to remember. Sometimes it's because they failed to remember God's instructions. Sometimes it's because they failed to remember God's loving kindness towards them. Sometimes it's because they fail to remember one or more truths about God. And when we study chapter 40 of Genesis, one of the truths about God, we observe that we must act in remembrance upon is this truth that God's work is not always visible to us. Now, to be fair, sometimes God's work is visible to us. And I thank the Lord for that. Those opportunities when we get to see God at work. Maybe it's a a time when we get to see someone come to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and we get to witness that change that the Lord brings about in his or her life. And we praise the Lord for that. It might be in our own lives, even as Christians, where we see God convict us of sin and, and see how we have a humble response to that and we confess it and we turn from that sin and we say, only God did that. We get to see his work. We might see God heal a relationship or provide for some needs. Sometimes God's work in our lives is very visible, but not always, not always. Look at verse one. 
The text says sometime after this, sometime after this. So the events of chapter 40 happened sometime after Joseph was thrown into prison. We don't know exactly how long. We do know there was about 13 years that passed from the time chapter 39 began where Joseph is thrown into slavery. And then when he uh, gets out of prison later in chapter 41, but we don't know exactly the time frame in here. So we don't know exactly how long passes between chapter 39 and chapter 40. But I think it's safe to say it was probably more than a day or even a week and perhaps even more than a year. The only thing that Joseph could see is that God was making him successful as a prisoner. But that didn't seem to be doing anything to get him out of prison, right? And yet during that sometime, God was at work on Joseph's behalf, but he was at work in places and in ways that Joseph couldn't see. Verses 1 through 4 tell us that sometime after some time had passed, the king who Pharaoh, you can see the king of Egypt, might see the name Pharaoh in these passages of scriptures, same, same guy. The king there in Egypt, he threw his cupbearer and baker into the prison with Joseph. Now remember, God's sovereign hand was already at work, we saw in chapter 39, when Joseph was sold to Potiphar, who was in charge of the king's prison, which meant that when Potiphar threw Joseph into prison, even though it was a wrongful imprisonment, he threw him into the king's prison, which means he had the opportunity in prison to meet people who were close to the king, close to Pharaoh. But what we come to realize as we get into chapter 40 is that God was not just at work there in, in, in Joseph's life where he could maybe kind of see it a little bit. Um, hey, at least I'm in the king's prison. Um, God was at work where Joseph couldn't see. Think about it this way. God was at work over in Pharaoh's court, sovereignly ensuring that this cup baker and this cup baker, sorry, cup bearer and baker probably won't be the last time I do that, by the way, now that I've done it once. The cup bearer and baker ended up working for Pharaoh. And when they ended up offending Pharaoh, God ensured that they were put into prison with who? Joseph. And God sovereignly led the captain of the guard to assign Joseph the task of attending to these two prisoners of the king. And then if we jump ahead a few verses, we see that God was at work in those two guys' lives by giving them dreams. Right? Joseph went to bed that night and nothing was going on in his life. But these two guys over here um, in the prison cell next to him or wherever they were at in the prison, they, they're having dreams. God was at work. Now, all of this working of God ended up contributing to God accomplishing his plan for Joseph's life. And years later, looking back, Joseph was able to put all the pieces together. But in the moment, which, by the way, is where you and I live, right? We live in the moment. Doesn't mean we don't want to look ahead to the future and see what God has promised. But we're not living in the future. We're living right here in the moment of of what's going on in our lives. Joseph, living in this moment, would not have seen God doing any of these things. And yet God was definitely at work. Church, God's work is not always visible to us. And this is the truth that we need to be reminded of and we need to remember whenever we are tempted to doubt God's presence and his goodness in those times in our lives where we feel like he has abandoned us when he seems absent. We may not be able to see God at work, but it doesn't mean he is absent. It doesn't mean he has abandoned us. God's ways are higher than our ways. He is able to work in ways that we may not see or even know in the moment. And so we got to remember that truth. And as you remember that truth, let it ground your faith in those moments where God seems absent. 
Action number two is this. Stay ready, church. Stay ready. Stay ready for what? Stay ready to testify to God's existence and his presence and his power in our lives. Stay ready to testify to God's existence, presence and power. Now, I want you to, as you think about this, this truth, this action, I want you to think about times in your life where God seemed absent. I'm sure Almost all of us, if if not all of us, have experienced these moments in life. You know what I'm talking about. Just you just that feeling is there. You're like, all right, God, where are you at? <laughs> What's where where are you? I want you to think back to those times in your life. You know that in those times it's easy to doubt God's power. And sometimes we may take it a step further and we may doubt even his presence. And if we keep going down that road of doubt, we may even begin to doubt the very existence of God. We may not like to say that, but if we're honest, sometimes those thoughts come into our minds. But what if God wanted to use that season in your life, those seasons that are still ahead, that may be waiting on us, those seasons of loneliness where God seems absent. What if he wants to use that season where it seems like he's not there to give us a unique opportunity to testify to his existence and his presence and his power? I think that's exactly what we see God do in Joseph's situation. So, so you continue in the story. The king's cupbearer and baker, they've been thrown into prison. Joseph is, Joseph is attending to them. And one night they both have dreams. And when Joseph comes in the next morning to take care of them, he sees this look on their face. And it's look of troubles uh, of trouble and distress and he says hey what's what's wrong right he says why why are your faces downcast we might well say why do you look so gloomy what happened now it's interesting that they don't seem upset by the fact that they both have dreams they don't say whoa we, we had some crazy dreams last night and that that's made us sad it's not the, the the fact that they had dreams that has made their faces downcast it's the fact that there's no one present to interpret the dreams note that there's no one here who can interpret our dreams dreams were important to the egyptians there were certain people who studied dream interpretation were called upon to interpret dreams in fact when we get to chapter 41, we're going to see that Pharaoh has a couple of important dreams and he's going to call, the text says, all the magicians of Egypt and all its wise men to come to him to try to interpret these dreams. That was the custom. And so these two guys are distraught that they have had these dreams, but there seems to be an absence of anyone who is able to interpret those dreams for them. Then we look at Joseph's response, and his response speaks volumes about his trust in the Lord during this season where he could have accused God of being absent. Look at the end of verse 8. Joseph said this. He said, do not interpretations belong to God. Please tell them to me. I want you to consider the faith behind that statement in light of all that Joseph has been going through. First, think about this. The one true God was not worshipped in Egypt. The Egyptians worshipped a host of false gods. The cupbearer and the baker did not believe in this God of Joseph. There would have been other gods that they worshipped. So when we hear Joseph say, oh, wait a second, 
Do not interpretations belong to God? This was a bold move by Joseph to mention God. He was testifying to the existence of the one true God in the midst of these pagans who did not believe in this one true God, who perhaps didn't have never heard of this one true God. He testifies to the Lord's existence. Second, Joseph uh, was believing that God was present with him. Right. Joseph didn't say, well, I believe that there is a God who can interpret your dreams. Unfortunately, he's not here either. Just like all of your dream interpreters, uh, God has apparently abandoned me. And so I wish I could help you, but God is not here. No, instead, Joseph's response implies to us that he not only believed that God existed, but that he was present with them in prison. Joseph was able to testify to the very presence of God, even there in that dungeon, in that pit, in that prison. And then third, Joseph's response uh, revealed that he believed that not only did God exist, not only was he present, but that God had the power to interpret the dream and then reveal that interpretation to Joseph so Joseph could communicate it to these two individuals. Joseph didn't just say, well, God can interpret dreams. He said, hey, tell them to me. Tell them to me. That's an act of faith. He's trusting that the Lord is powerful in that prison to give him the ability to understand what these dreams mean and tell them to the, these individuals. It implies that Joseph believed God was going to enable him, that God was powerful. And so even there in the midst of this prison, Joseph was testifying to the power of the one true God. You see how God's presence was at work? It may have seemed like God's uh, like Joseph's wrongful imprisonment was God just turning his back on Joseph. The absence of God in this life. But God was at work providing Joseph with this very unique opportunity to testify to God's existence and his presence and power to these pagan men. And who knows who else in the prison heard about this one true God as well. Brothers and sisters, when we find ourselves in situations where it seems like God is absent, it could be that God is giving us an opportunity to testify to his existence and his presence and his power that we otherwise would not have had. Which means we've got to stay ready, even in those moments where it's easy to doubt his existence and his presence and his power. We must stay ready to testify of our great God. I'm sure I know I know I'm positive in this, that you have experienced situations in life where you've witnessed other brothers or sisters in Christ who are walking through very difficult seasons where it would have been easy for them to turn their back on God because it appeared that God had turned their back on them. But you witnessed their faith remain strong. Did that not encourage you? Was that not used by God as they testified in their moments of weakness where it seemed like God had left them from a worldly perspective? Did that not encourage you as that if they testified of God's existence and his presence and his power as they kept their faith in the Lord, even during those dark and difficult times? And not just a testimony for us as followers of Christ, as their brothers and sisters, but even a testimony to unbelievers in our world. I know right now many of you are thinking about people in your life whose faith has held firm through those dark seasons of life. And, and what a testimony of God's goodness it was to you. Perhaps in your moment of loneliness, God would use you to say to do the same thing. We must stay ready to do that. Maybe you ask, well, how do we stay ready? 
There's a whole lot we could say there. I'll just summarize it this way. We must stay in his word. We must stay in prayer and we must stay connected to his people, even when it feels like God has abandoned us so that the truth about God's presence, that it is always there, saturates and continues to saturate our hearts so that that truth rules in our lives instead of our feelings of abandonment. So the truth about who God is pushes out those feelings of abandonment in our lives. Church, God's ways are higher than our ways. He is able to give us unique opportunities to testify to his existence and his presence and his power in our lives. Ways that we would never have pursued on our own. So stay ready as you believe this truth about God. Let it ground your faith in those moments where God seems absent. Let me give you a third action that we can and should take in these moments of life. Action number three, consider Consider that God may be preparing you for future service. Consider, stop and think about. Ponder for a moment that God may be preparing you for future service. This chapter continues with the two men taking Joseph up on his offer. They tell him their dreams and then he interprets their dreams, right? The cupbearer basically dreamed that the three branches produced grapes, which he then squeezed into Pharaoh's cup and handed to Pharaoh. That was his job when he got thrown into prison. He basically dreamed that he was back doing his job. The baker dreamed that he had three baskets on his head, a little bit crazier of a dream. And birds came and ate the bread out of the top basket on his head. And Joseph gives the following interpretation. He says, all right, cupbearer, what your dream means is that in three days you're going to be restored to your position as cupbearer to the king, to Pharaoh. And baker, in three days you're going to be hanged on a tree and the birds are going to eat your flesh. That's the that's what these dreams mean. Verses 20 through 21 tell us that's exactly what happened. Joseph interpreted their dreams correctly. Three days later, there was proof on the third day, verse 20, uh, on the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday. He made a feast for all his servants and lifted up the head of the chief cupbearer and the head of the chief baker among his servants. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position and he placed the cup in Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them. So Joseph correctly interpreted the dreams. Now, it's easy to get caught up in the details of those dreams. Very unique dreams, right? Very unique circumstances for the for the, the cupbearer and, and the baker. But we got to keep our minds at the, on, uh, centered on the main thing rest of this passage is God at work if so what is he doing when we read this chapter in light of the next chapter we see that God is actually preparing Joseph for future service interpreting these dreams doesn't seem to help Joseph much in the short run does it I mean, we get it into chapter 40. He's still stuck in prison but later Joseph is going to have an opportunity to interpret the dreams of not just anyone, but of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, which will not only lead to his release from prison, but his promotion to second in command in Egypt. You say, well, what does him interpreting these dreams have to do with him interpreting Pharaoh's dreams? Well, the way Pharaoh is going to hear about Joseph's ability to interpret dreams will be through, guess who? The cupbearer, who had firsthand experience of how Joseph was able to rightly interpret dreams. 
In other words, even though Joseph's circumstances made it appear that God had abandoned him, God was actually preparing him for future service. Even though testifying of God's existence and his presence and his power through offering to interpret those dreams did not seem to benefit Joseph any at that time, God was preparing him for future service. And it was a future service not only of interpreting Pharaoh's dreams, but testifying before the king of Egypt of God's existence, of his presence, of his power. God was going to expand Joseph's platform to be able to testify of the presence and the goodness and the power of God before all of Egypt. It was going to lead to him rescuing many people from a severe famine, and it was going to lead to him preserving the lineage that would ultimately lead to Jesus, the promised deliverer. Now talk about some future service, right? God was preparing for him that in that moment when it seemed like God was absent. Church, if you ever consider that in those moments where it feels like God has abandoned you, he might be doing something in your life that's getting you ready for some future act of service. And so as you remain faithful in that moment, God's doing something greater than you you have any idea that he's doing. And, and one day you might look back and say, I can see how he was preparing me. It was a season of preparation to be used by him in this other way. Praise God for that. Church, God's ways are higher than our ways, are they not? He may be preparing you for future service. So consider, think about that truth about God. Let it permeate your heart and mind in those times where God seems absent. And then let it ground your faith. When it feels like God has abandoned you. There's a fourth and final action that I want to share with you. And it's simply this, church. Trust God's Perfect timing in moments when God seems absent, trust his perfect timing. Brothers and sisters, if we're going to remain strong in our faith during those seasons where it feels like God has forgotten us, we have to put this into practice. This act of faith, this trust, we must trust God's timing and trust that it is good and perfect. There's a word that gets repeated two times in chapter 40, and then it gets repeated again in chapter 41. It's really hard to preach chapter 40 without chapter 41, but we're going to try to save most of chapter 41 till, till next week, Lord willing. But, but there's this word that gets repeated, and it's the word remember. And in each instance, it has to do with the cupbearer remembering or not remembering Joseph. Look at chapter 39, verse 14. After after Joseph tells the cupbearer that he will be restored to Pharaoh's service, Joseph then adds this in. He sees this as his opportunity. He says, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness to mention me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house for I was indeed stolen out of the land of the Hebrews. And here also I've done nothing that they should put me into the pit. So Joseph sees this as his opportunity. Maybe the cupbearer will put in a good word for him with someone on the outside, someone in power, maybe even with Pharaoh himself. Joseph sees this as an opportunity to have an advocate working on his behalf outside the prison walls. Joseph sees this as his opportunity to be remembered. But notice how the chapter ends. Verse 23. Yet the chief cupbearer did not remember Joseph. And just for emphasis, the text says, but he forgot him. He did not remember Joseph, but he forgot him. And he didn't just forget him for a day or two or three or a week. But Joseph was forgotten for two whole years. You know, look at verse 41. You see where he's forgotten. And, excuse me, not verse 41, chapter 41, verse 1. 
It says after two whole years. Again, I don't want to get into chapter 41 too much, but notice after two whole years, he was forgotten for two whole years. We say, where in the world is God in that? Joseph had testified to God's existence and presence and power while he was in prison. He had been kind enough to take the time to interpret the, the, the dreams of, of the cupbearer and then the baker. He had kindly asked for some help. Would you, when, when it all turns out well for you, would you please remember me? And then he's forgotten for two whole years. Where in the world is God in that? Friends, this is often where the rubber meets the road when it comes to our faith. God's timing is not always our timing. So that means that sometimes we've got to live for a while in that situation where God seems absent, where it feels like God has abandoned us. But we must trust in those moments that his timing is perfect. Church patience is one of the great fruits of faith in the life of Christians. Patience is one of the great fruits of of, of faith in the life of believers. It's produced by the Holy Spirit in us. And it is essential if we're going to continue walking by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Even when things seem like God has abandoned us. We must trust God's perfect timing. And here's the thing. Here's the thing. God's timing always proves to be perfect. His timing always proves to be perfect. I do want you to jump into chapter 41 just for one more verse. If you'll skip ahead in chapter 41 to verse 8, you'll find these words. Remember I said the word remember is mentioned three times, two times in chapter 40. Now look at chapter 41, verse 8. Then the chief cupbearer said to Pharaoh, I remember. I remember. Joseph says, please remember me. The cupbearer fails to remember him. Two whole years pass. And then, after two years, the cupbearer says, Oh, I remember. I remember. And guess what? It was the perfect time for him to remember. Pharaoh was in a desperate situation. He needed a dream interpreter. No one else in Egypt could interpret those dreams. And Joseph was God's man for the job. It was the perfect time for Pharaoh to welcome Joseph into the king's court. And the result was not only his freedom from prison, but the continuation of God's promises leading to Jesus. It took a while, but God's timing proved to be perfect. I like how one writer put it. He said this, ultimately, the closing of prison doors is designed by the Lord to open palace doors, but only in his timing. Only in his timing. Church, God's ways are higher than our ways. His timing may not always align with our timing, but his timing is always perfect. And so trust this truth about God and let it ground your faith in those moments when God seems absent. I hope and pray, church family, these four truths about God rooted in this truth that God's ways are higher than our ways will lead you to these four actions which lead you to remain grounded in your faith. Even during those times where it feels like God has abandoned you, where that abandonment starts to creep in. But I need to share with you one final and important thing. Church, God's faithful presence with us when feelings of abandonment creep in is only possible because of someone else who walked through the darkest period of abandonment that anyone has ever faced. See, Joseph's season of what at times may have appeared to be abandonment points us to the reality of abandonment Jesus faced here on this earth. 
But you think about Jesus for just a moment. Jesus was abandoned by people who said they wanted to follow him, but who then just turned away from him whenever following him became not what they expected, a little harder than they thought it would be. Jesus was abandoned by that disciple who pretended to love him, but never actually did. Judas Iscariot, the betrayer. Jesus was abandoned by his three closest disciples in that moment of his greatest need when all he did was ask them to spend some time in prayer for him. And when he came back, he found them sleeping. Jesus was abandoned by all of his disciples right after that in the Garden of Gethsemane when they all fled and ran away as soon as they saw Jesus arrested. And then Jesus was abandoned by one of his closest disciples, Peter, who denied even knowing Jesus. Three times he denied even knowing his closest friend. But all of that paled in comparison to the abandonment Jesus experienced on the cross, church. As the Son of God there on the cross who had lived a perfect life was crucified in our place. God the Father poured out His wrath toward our sin upon Jesus, His Son. And as He did, Jesus cried out these words from Psalm chapter 22, verse 1. He said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My God, my God, why have you abandoned me? Jesus cried out from the cross. If we go to that psalm, that psalm continues this way. Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Have you ever been in a situation in life where that has been your cry to the Lord? Have you ever said, where are you, Lord? I cry out by day and I cry out by night. Where are you? Friend, know that Jesus has been there. He has cried out those words as well. He is able to sympathize with you in your feelings of abandonment. But more than that, know that when he said those words, he was accomplishing your salvation and my salvation. He was purchasing and ensuring the eternal presence of God for everyone who would believe in him for salvation. Jesus was abandoned by the father. Consider this. Jesus was abandoned by the father so that you and I would never have to experience the horror of having our creator abandon us because of our sin. We deserve to be abandoned by God. But through Jesus, God shows us grace and adopts us as his children instead of abandoning us as his enemies. Praise the Lord. That's not the end of the story because Jesus didn't stay dead. You know that, right? He rose up from the grave. Psalm chapter 16 prophesies of the resurrection of Jesus. And notice the words in this prophecy. For you, the psalmist writes, will not abandon my soul to Sheol, that's the grave, or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand, the psalmist writes, are pleasures forevermore. See, God the Father did not abandon Jesus to the grave, but He raised Him up. Jesus is now seated at the right hand of the Father. And because Jesus was raised from the dead... Everyone, everyone who believes in him will be raised one day as well. God's not going to abandon you or me or anyone who is trusted in Christ to the grave. Friend, we will experience feelings of abandonment in this life. God never promises that we won't walk through those trials and seasons of life. We're not promised that those feelings won't begin to creep into our life. But those feelings of abandonment don't have to rule us. God's ways are higher than our ways. We see that at the cross. 
Where what appeared to be the abandonment of the Son of God turned into the greatest love story the world has ever known. We can see it in our lives today as God transforms our hearts through His gospel, that good news of Jesus. As He rescues us from our sin, fills us with His presence, adopts us into His family, and and, and then never leaves us no matter what comes our way in life and promises life beyond the grave. And so, believe in Jesus The one who truly was abandoned on our behalf. Believe in him for salvation if you never have. Repent of your sin. Place your faith in him. And then, Christian, let us walk in faith. Remembering that his work is not always visible to us. Staying ready to testify to his existence and presence and power. Considering that his ways are not always visible to us. And trusting in his perfect timing. Let me close with the words of the prophet Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 55, verse 8 and verse 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. Would you pray with me? Father, may that truth that your ways are higher than our ways. God, may it permeate our souls and fill our minds and overwhelm our hearts so that when those feelings of abandonment creep in, we will filter them through the truth that you are there, you are active. You are at work in our lives, though we may not be able to see it. Though it may not happen in the timing that we think it should. Father, maybe you're giving us a unique opportunity we wouldn't have had otherwise to bring you glory by testifying to your existence and your presence and your power in our lives. God, help us to remember. Help us to remember these truths. Father, may they ground our faith. God, thank you for Jesus. As we consider, Father, the abandonment that he experienced. Father, we declare our dependence upon you. We thank you for the salvation that you give us. And we say that we need you, God. We need your help. This is not easy to put into practice. We need your help. To remain grounded in the truth of who you are. As we face these difficult moments in life. In Jesus name we pray. Amen.